Welcome to El Desvío. Many roads, one destination. Encountering challenges, making decisions, confronting struggles, and better understanding the reasons for polarizing positions are but a part of being engaged in our nation's ability to discuss and advance towards a more inclusive and fair society. However, there is no set formula to achieve these objectives. This video presents listeners with 30 minutes of thought-provoking discussions on relevant issues we face as a nation. Buenos días, mi gente, and welcome back to El Desvío. I'm your host, Jose Vargas. And I'm Pablo Stein, Blacklist New Communications Director. A lot has happened since we last spoke, and our movement has made great progress towards achieving landmark goals for working people, including an expansion of organizing rights via the Trumpka Pro Act, the protection of voting rights via the John Lewis Voting Rights Amendment Act, and jumpstarting our economy through Biden's infrastructure plan. But today, we're here to talk about Una Gran Victoria. That's right, Jose, and it's one we've been fighting for for a long time, over a decade to be exact. On August 18th, the Environmental Protection Agency announced a ban on the agricultural use of Clopidifos, a highly toxic nerve agent that was commonly used as a pesticide on all kinds of crops. And here to talk about why this is such an important victory for Latino workers and how we got to this point, we have a really stellar panel of guests, including two LACLA alumni. So Jose, I'll turn it over to you for introductions. Let me begin by introducing some of these very important community partners to LACLA. I'll start by welcoming Iris Figueroa, Director of Economic and Environmental Justice at Farm Workers Justice. Iris has been a longtime advocate and community educator for farm workers on issues related to immigration, labor rights, and occupational health and safety. Next is Raul Garcia, Legislative Director of Earth Justice Health, Healthy Communities Program, who played a critical role in this case. And just to mention that Brother Raul started out his career right here at LACLA. And finally, Andrea Delgado, Director of Government Affairs for the United Farm Workers Foundation. Andrea is no stranger to LACLA. Many of you will remember her as our policy analyst and communications manager. She was recently appointed to the Environmental Justice Advisory Council. Welcome all of you. Gracias, Jose. So again, bienvenidos to El Desvío, and let's jump right in with this discussion. Iris, I'd like to start with you. Uh, can you tell us what exactly is Clopidifos and how is it impacting farm workers? Sure, and thank you so much for the opportunity to speak about this topic. As was mentioned, I work for Farm Worker Justice, which is a national advocacy organization. Um, and one of the many issues that impact farm workers is pesticide exposure. So Clopidifos, um, Clopidifos <laughs> the, the pronunciation can vary, but what matters is that it is one of the most commonly used and most toxic pesticides um, that is used in agricultural products. It, can, it has been documented to cause severe adverse effects for children in their neurological development, um, especially if there's prenatal exposure, which can lead to cognitive and behavioral deficits. Um, and it also, of course, can impact adults. Um, a range of symptoms ranging from nausea, dizziness, um, numbness in the limbs, convulsion, and even death. It's from the same family of chemicals as sarin gas, just to give you a sense of 
of the type of highly toxic chemical we're talking about. Um, and toxic pesticides like chlorpyrifos are just one of the many ways in which farm workers and their families are routinely exposed uh, to hazards in the fields where they work and in the communities where they live. Farm workers' exposure to pesticides results in thousands of reported and potentially even more unreported pesticide poisonings, illnesses, and injuries each year. Um, and even the children of farm workers cannot avoid this exposure due to the proximity of their homes and their schools and their playgrounds to areas where pesticides are applied. And that's why this chemical is both so pervasive and so potentially dangerous. Andrea. I want to ask you a question. How did you first get involved in this fight to ban this toxic chemical? And why is this an important issue for Latino workers and for our community? Thank you. It's so great to be with you, Jose. And um, it has been a fateful nearly a decade uh, since I was with LACLA. So my very first contact with this issue and pesticides really um, occurred during a fateful visit that we did. There was a Blackla delegation that went to Dudley, North Carolina. We did so and we went to visit Valdemar Velasquez and the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, which operates in the Midwest of the country as well as in the Southeast. So this Blackla delegation was in the process of uh, doing research about Latino workers in the United States. So trying to document some of the occupational health and environmental health and safety issues that workers across various different industry sectors were dealing with um, and how you know, either their immigration status, their social and economic conditions made them a little bit either more vulnerable to face risks in the workplace to either be injured, uh, ill, or in some cases even dying in the worst scenarios. And in that fateful visit, um, Valdemar took us to the farm labor camps these were workers that worked with sweet potato and tobacco. And I had the opportunity to, you know, to interview them, to really visit with them and spend time into, you know, what, what's a day in their life like? What is it that they come into contact with? And they were expressing, you know, how they're exposed, not just to pesticides, but at that time also nicotine poisoning. Since when they're touching these large tobacco plants, they're coming into contact with the leaves as they're harvesting them and in that process of also absorbing nicotine directly into their bloodstream. And when I asked, you know, like, well, you know, what personal protective equipment do you have? Do you have any training about the pesticides that you're being exposed to and how to deal with them safely? Um, what do you know about how to protect yourself? And, you know, the worker just sort of looked at me a little puzzled um, and that raised like a very big alarm for me is like, like, first of all, who is the agency that's supposed to be ensuring that these workers are protected from pesticides? And LACLA, which is the organization that I was working uh, with at the time, was primarily focused on issues that fell under the, pur the purview of the Department of Labor. So um, after that visit, seeing how the workers were impacted by pesticide exposure, seeing the children running around barefoot um, in, the, in the labor camps, seeing that a lot of the workers in some cases were coming right off the fields and because they were so tired since they're doing really grueling work, they would just go directly to bed. So they wouldn't even like remove their clothes or their shoes. Um, all of these are things that are coming into contact with pesticides that are um, being covered if not doused in residues of harmful pesticides. And they're coming home and saying, you know, embracing their children and their family members without having a full understanding of how that simple and loving act can make them and their families more likely to be exposed to pesticides and for children 
um, exposed, you know, facing the potential of neurodevelopmental harm because a lot of pesticides like chlorpyrifos are toxic to the brain. So it was, it was just a very eye-opening experience for me that really changed the route of my professional life, you know, going back to DC, doing research and realizing that it was the Environmental Protection Agency, not the Department of Labor, that had the responsibility to be setting standards to protect farm workers from pesticides, uh, changed the route of my life and was what compelled me to leave LACLA at the time and join Earth Justice to you know, work for an organization that had extensive experience working on issues that came before the EPA and also suing the agency and holding it accountable for failing to do what it was, what it needed to do to protect uh, all communities and in particularly environmental justice communities like farm workers that desperately needed strong protections from pesticides like for Parafos. Wow, that's really interesting, Andrea. And I think it's amazing how uh, it shows the interconnections in our, our movement because of the uh, these issues that can't necessarily be fought just by one agency and on our side by just one civil society organization. So I think that's really cool. And now on that note, I'd like to ask a question to the three of you about our uh, advocacy of, of each of your organizations. Uh, based on your experience with the Claude Beautiful's case, what do you think are the unique challenges and opportunities associated with different types of advocacy, including legal advocacy and rank and file mobilization and also legislative lobbying? Great question, um, Pablo. And you know, Raul can speak to this as well since you know, he's been working on these issues um, in different movements. And I think what, what him and I share is the notion of cross-movement coalition building, you know, having uh, been advocates that worked in the labor movement with immigrant rights organizations that later transitioned to work in the environmental movement, we brought a lot of those relationships to the environmental fights and something that sticks out for me in all of the work that it took to build a diverse coalition that would fight, uh, not just against quote paraphos, but against, um, well, for the strengthening of the very basic safeguards that farm workers have a right to under environmental laws, was that cross-movement building. So building uh, partnerships with organizations in the civil rights movement, in the, um, in the Latinx policy space, including LACLA and others, um, across several labor unions, LACLA played a key role in the, in the advocacy against chlorpyrifos. You know, they went before the EPA and the administrator of the agency to make a case as to why this was important, not just from an environmental standpoint, but from the standpoint that the workers that were going to be most impacted by exposure to this pesticide are going to be Latino and immigrant workers, since the overwhelming majority of the farm workforce are Latinos, immigrants, and or of indigenous ancestry. So I would say a, a challenge and an opportunity is working across movements, setting differences aside, and really focusing on the most impacted, centering it on the most impacted, and being able to push forward together um, in spite of uh, differences. Absolutely, definitely echoing what Andrea just mentioned. And, and I think that it, it's also bringing, as, as Andrea mentioned, bringing in different perspectives because it matters to all of us. We're not, right, a, a human being doesn't stop being a farm worker by virtue of being an environmentalist and doesn't stop being an environmentalist by virtue of being an immigrant and doesn't stop being an immigrant by virtue of being anything else, right? So 
Um, I think that's important. It's also important, I think, in terms of the cross-section of organizations involved and their expertise because of the different strategies and tools that each organization brings to the table. And so, you know, at Earth Justice, we're very good at the law. You know, we have, a, we have an army of lawyers who can bring in, who can bring in cases. So when advocacy, um, you know, your sort of your lobbying advocacy is not pushing agencies far enough, we can say we can say, well, we'll see you in court then. We're going to figure this out in front of a judge, and let's see who wins then. Um, and I think that's important. But at the same time, Earth Justice doesn't have a membership. We have clients and partners. That means that we rely on LACLA and UFW and, and, and also, you know, Farm Worker Justice is also a, a legal organization, but they also have uh, boots on the ground. And we rely on our partners to provide that firsthand perspective because we can have all the legal arguments that we want. And we did. We, we've been arguing this thing for 14 years at Earth Justice. Uh, but we... But nothing's going to change if we don't bring a human face to this. And the human face brings comes from the people themselves that are experiencing the hardship. We want them to speak for themselves and we want to speak with them, not for them. And so that, that that's really been a great partnership here. And so, you know, when we were told we won the court case. So, so in, in April, we won this court case and the court actually told EPA, you have to get rid of this pesticide. And then when we learned that EPA was still considering leaving in about half the use of the pesticide, we were utterly shocked and outraged. And so the first thing we did, we said, we gotta get our partners together, we gotta get our clients together, and we need to figure this out. Um, so what we did is that we together went in front of the decision makers and we developed case by case scenarios in which different people from all across different political spectrums were telling EPA to do exactly the same thing, to get rid of this pesticide. So just in the meeting, for example, that LACLA had, it was amazing. We had teachers, we had nurses, we had actually a representative from the, from the chemical industry themselves saying, hey, you need to get rid of this thing. That was incredibly powerful. And it provides a lot of people within the administration who want to do the right thing, but feel like they don't have the political cover to do so. The political cover to do so. So I think that that's important. And, and I think that honestly, this would not have, any one organization going at this alone would not have accomplished this. And so I think that this is a really prime example about the cross movement build um, uh, advocacy building that Andrea mentioned, and also the, the effectiveness of that movement in that it's not just the right thing to do, it's also the smart thing to do, it's the effective thing to do. This is how we get things done. And so it's important for everybody to listen to this kind of model and, and to follow it as much as possible. I echo what everyone has said, the intersectionality is so important and that cross movement, um, ensuring that we're really amplifying each other's voices and also that the distinct voices are, are expressing their point of view because we are not all experts on everything, but everyone is an expert in their experience and in the impacts that they have seen. And so that is very powerful. I know for EPA, hearing the stories of people that were impacted, it, it's very different to make policy sort of in this abstract, right? This you're, you're writing a rule and 
than to see it in the way that it's played out in people's lives and had such an impact um, for an entire generation of children and families. Um, and I think the law is an amazing tool, um, you know, in this less than ideal world in which we live to sort of force um, agencies to do the right thing, but it is a very lengthy process. And so it is very, very important to have all those partners aware of what's going on. One area we haven't mentioned is there were actually a few state bans as well. And so this coalition of partners that was working at the federal level at the same time, they were also working locally with their partners locally and at the state level um, in the absence of federal action. And so I think it's really important to sort of keep up that pressure and amplify each other's voices so that the sound is so deafening that they can't help but listen in the end. Let me just follow up with that. Uh, Raul, this ban on the agricultural use of the chemical is really such a huge victory that can somewhat overshadow the harm that it can still do in other areas, right? In your opinion, what are the next steps in the fight to protect all Latino workers from this dangerous chemical? Yeah, so the the the, the ban that, that we were able to obtain was a ban on, on crops that are used for our food. So in terms of, you know, in terms of ingesting it, it's, it, you know, hopefully we'll see that taken care of and, and just facing it out in, in sh shortly. However, we still have a lot of other uses that will continue uh, and that will be up for review in 2022. And so what we're seeing is, for example, risk to workers that work in invernaderos. So if, if they're growing plants that are, you know, to show at a house or to show at a, you know, at a garden, they're still gonna be using this chemical for, for, for the time being, Christmas trees. So imagine a Christmas tree, you actually, that's a tree that you actually bring into your house, right? So one, there are workers cultivating those, and then you bring it into your house and your kids are all around it, hanging decorations, at times hugging it and whatnot. So uh, this chemical, again, continues to be at play there, and there will be a review. So. So our, our case was about food uses, but there will be a review in 2022 that will essentially force EPA to make a decision on these remaining uses for the chemical. And so we are saying this chemical was banned in homes back in 2007. It was now banned in agricultural uses for food in, in, in 2021. It has no room in our markets. It has no room in our workforce. It has no room in our houses. And so... That means that it has to get rid of. So we'll go through an intense pressure system again to force EPA to get rid of the chemical altogether. And not only that, but Edie's actually mentioned that this is this is one chemical of a family of chemicals that are very dangerous to, to, to humans overall, and particularly to children. It, the family of chemicals was developed by the Nazis. Let's not lose track of that. The Nazis developed this chemical to kill. It attacks anything with the nervous system. So. The next fight is also going to be getting rid of the whole family of chemicals. We call these chemicals organophosphates. Uh, and the idea is that the, the damages are very similar throughout, this, the, throughout the, the family of chemicals. They, we need to get rid of them altogether because of a lot of the similar arguments that, that we're talking about in clopyrifos. And, and we're hoping that clopyrifos, at least in food uses, serves as an example for how to phase out and get rid of these toxics that are doing all this harm and really little to no good at this point. Um, and so we have to continue to fight. There, we will have another, uh, another round with EPA in 2022 on the rest of clopyrifos uses. And then we plan to 
again, lobby them, sue them if we have to, using the same rulings, using the same law, using the same uh, approach that we've used with Clopirifos. Why? Because it worked. And that's what the law says they have to do. So it's not, it's not really up to them. The science is there. The law is there. They need to ban these. It's not really a discretionary thing for them. This is what they need to do according to the science and the law. This is, this is a victory that should not have taken this long to get some sort of resolution, right? And, and much too often, um, the turnaround time for these things, in this case, a decade, right, of going back and forth on this. As, as we move forward, like in, in the purview of three sets of eyes here, right? Um, what are other things that the Latino community, that lockless audience should be paying attention to, or at least keep their eyes on as we move forward? That's a great question, Jose. And, and before I answer that, I also want to give a shout out to the teachers because the American Federation of Teachers had an early role in advocacy to strengthen protections for farm workers from pesticides. Uh, Cesar Moreno at the time was helping lead Ben in the, in the civil rights department and he himself, a descendant of farm workers, un, understood very uh, at a very intimate level why protecting farm workers from pesticides is so critical. And, and moving forward, and this um, is just related to what Raul mentioned, chlorpyrifos, whether you can pronounce it or not, what you need to know, it's, it's a nerve agent and it's one of nearly a dozen of nerve agents that remain on our food. And as we think about what's the next step for LACLA, you know, having been part of the advocacy that led to this victory is we need to go after the remaining nerve agents that are undermining not just the health of children that are consuming a range of food that have the residues of these harmful toxic chemicals on them, but also the farm workers who are really on the front lines of this exposure. Um, so the, the next fight has, is going after the class of pesticides, making sure that we're getting them out of our food because there's no reason why they should be there. And that's a matter of not just you know, a protection of the development of children's brains, but it's really a matter of environmental justice since these, you know, it's overwhelmingly happening in agricultural communities where the workers are disproportionately Latino and immigrant. And these are also pesticides that are not just impacting them in the workplace, but also it's drifting onto schools, it's drifting onto homes, since these applications often happen adjacent to communities. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I think the fight will continue on a lot of underlying issues facing the Latino community, right? And, and, and I think the biggest one of all, immigration reform. Uh, why? Because it's immigration because of all the value and substance of immigration and why, why it means morally, economically, and, and intelligently to, to, to bring about the legalization of so many people who, who, are, who are at the front lines of, of, of our commerce, who are at the front lines of our families, and who are making our country work. And, but it also matters because all of the subsequent protections are based upon the simple idea of a resident of the United States being able to speak up about whatever issue they want to speak up. No one's going to talk about pesticides. No one's going to talk about heat stress. No one's going to talk about all those things if they don't feel like they have the right to, if they don't feel like they have the opportunity to do so without being retaliated, without being vulnerable to do so. And so there are a lot of things that, that need to be fixed that are underlying issues in order to get to, to, you know, to, um, to a place where we can say, Yes, across the nation, we have a safe environment for our workers. We have a safe environment for our consumers. We have a safe environment for everyone. And, and, and so we have to focus on, on those issues as well, even as we're talking about 
um, you know, pesticides, as we're talking about heat stress, as we're talking about um, violence to women, in, in, in whether it be in the workplace or at the home, all of those issues are incredibly interconnected. And so we have to, just how we're building cross, cross-sectional movements, every section of that movement also has to have a cross-perspective, uh, a, a cross-perspective point of view in order to address these issues, knowing that no one issue exists in isolation and that ultimately we all sink or swim together. And so I think that's an important message. And so all these issues are interconnected. We have to address them all. It, we're stronger when we address them together. And th- th- that goes beyond labor. That goes beyond environmentalists. That's everybody pushing in the same direction. And so that, that's, that's a little bit more about the method in which I hope to see the work continue. Uh, and I think this fight serves as a good example for that as well. Yeah, I think it, it's a good example of, of how the broader context of these other issues and these structural challenges that the Latino community faces really exacerbates the risk and the harm to workers. Um, heat stress is, is one issue that Raul mentioned. You know, we often hear people talk about climate change as if it's some sort of future threat. It's already here. The threat is already here for people like farm workers who are suffering and literally dying um, from completely preventable causes. Um, and so that's absolutely unacceptable. And it's part of this broader issue. We There's been studies that have come out, for example, on how heat stress and pesticide exposure exacerbate each other and worsen um, farm workers' health progressively and acutely. And so those are the sorts of things that we need to be looking at in a, with a broader lens. I think it's also really important to keep in mind the history of chemical exposures and chemical production in this country. And the fact that communities of color, not just Latino communities, but communities of color have disproportionately borne the risk and the effects of the production of these chemicals and the exposure to this chemical. And so it's not just an issue for rural Latinos, it's also an issue for people in urban areas that might be near these production facilities or there's a wide range of of areas where there's a lot of similarities in terms of the exposure of communities. I think it's really important for folks to get educated. I think it's really important to educate uh, people who are providing medical services to be able to identify these issues because often they can mimic something else. And if they're not well-versed in the farm worker community um, and in the challenges that that community faces accessing health, that we might not even know the full scope of the problem. As horrible as some of the stories that we heard are, we suspect it's just a tip of the iceberg. And there may be many more children and many more families who were impacted who don't even realize that that's what caused the health issue that they have. And so I think it has to be a very holistic overhaul of of our healthcare system, um, of our immigration system, and our labor rights system. Thank you, Iris, and muchas gracias, compañeros y compañeras, for, for sharing your time with us today and for letting our listeners benefit from your experience. It's so inspiring and energizing to hear about this success story. Bueno, mi gente, estamos en el momento de nuestra moraleja. And for me, the takeaway is that any of the struggles we face, much often we do not achieve instant gratification. That is, some of these important issues do not get resolved in the time frame that we would want them to. However, the key is to stay persistent and enfocado en los resultados, and in that manner, achieve a positive outcome. And I think another moraleja, which is one of our favorites, is trade unionists, is how important it is to come together around a cause and build that strength if there is a unity. 
En esta lucha, we had farm workers unions and advocacy groups like Andreas and Iris's. Then we had environmental groups like Raúl's. And we also had hermanos and hermanas from all over the labor movement showing solidarity through LACLA, even when this issue did not directly affect them. Solidarity in the Latino community is paramount and one that will ensure equity and justice for all our communities. Y con eso, mi gente, hasta la próxima. To our listeners, stay safe, informed, and vigilant. Adios.